0: Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. Uh, we are in a series in the book of Joshua. And last week we started Joshua chapter to 10. And we were gonna move through, my plan was to move through Joshua 10, 11 and 12 in one message. We got to 15 verses. (laughs) We didn't get that far. But God is doing such a special thing in this place right now, amen. God is is just doing a work and I'm so excited about what He's doing and I felt like we just needed to pause and come back. I don't wanna rush through uh, what God is saying in this moment. To our church, as we look at, at Joshua we look at the God who conquers the God who is good to his promise, the God is good on his word and um, so we're going we're going to lean straight back into ten the end the second half of ten and we 'll work our way through eleven today and if just to set the context we remember last week Joshua's led the army of Israel against the Canaanites and we had Adonai Zedek who is the counterfeit king of righteousness, the counterfeit king of righteousness. He calls himself the king of righteousness, but he is a shadow of of the devil uh, for us as the people of God. And he rallies his kings and he comes against Gibeon who is the shadow of the church, the type of church, the people who didn't deserve it, but they came under God's covenant grace. And then they seek the protection of Yahweh, of Yeshua, Yahweh saves, Joshua comes and we see that the Adonai Zedek, this demonic type, this, this satanic type, as he comes against the people of God, comes in a particular way. We talked about the weapons that we have to fight against those things, to fight against our adversary. And um, it was just a, a powerful word. I wanna encourage you to go there because God is speaking to His people. And as we come today, we go to the end of chapter um, 10 is where we're gonna pick it up. And we're gonna go from verse 42 as we lean into the, the second part of Israel and its, and its conquering of the land. So from chapter 10, verse 42, it says this, all these kings... And their lands Joshua conquered in one campaign. Because the Lord, the God of Israel, fought for Israel. How many of you are are pleased that we have the God of the universe who fights on our behalf? Chapter 11, verse 1. When Jabin king of Hazor heard of this, he sent word to Jobab king of Madon, to the kings of Shimron and Akshav and to the northern kings who were in the mountains of the Arabah, south of Kinnereth, in the western foothills in Naphoth Dor on the west to the Canaanites in the east and the west, to the Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites and Jebusites and that's where every preacher makes the joke about the Vegemites and the the, the Gigabytes and all of that, in the hill country and to the Hivites below Hermon in the region of Mizpah. They came out with all their troops and a large number of horses and chariots. Listen to this. A huge army as numerous as the sand on the seashore And all these kings joined forces and made camp together at the waters of Marom to fight against Israel. Friends, before we dive into this, we need to dive into this moment in time. And I want you to feel this. I want you to to picture yourself right here with Israel. This is an army as numerous as the sand of the seashore. First century, uh, first century historian Josephus records this as being an army of three hundred thousand foot soldiers, an army of twenty thousand chariots, of ten thousand horsemen, all rallying together because they heard the word that Israel had conquered the southern kings. This is the the largest most significant military force in the history of the world to this point coming against the people of God. Israel have no chariots, they have no horses and you gotta understand a chariot in those days is kind of like modern day nuclear warfare, right? When you've got a horse and a chariot and you're coming against a foot soldier, that is like, Overpowering, it is something that you cannot stop as a soldier. It's modern day nuclear warfare. They have all the technology, they have all the power, they have all the strength, they have all the numbers, and they come against the people of Israel who have literally just fought this massive battle against the southern kings where Joshua marched all night, where they fought and they fought and they fought against Adonai, Zedek and his, uh, his other kings who he rallied against the people of God. And then you, you retreat to Gilgal for a moment and then you get word, Joshua, they're coming. They're coming in numbers we have never seen before. How many of you, ever been in a place in life where you feel like you've had a moment of victory, where you feel like you've had a moment of success in God, where you've lent into God and He has done a great work and you have seen deliverance, you have seen the hand of God at work in your life and you think, yes, finally a moment to rest and then bam, the enemy comes again. Anybody? This is this moment for Israel, for Joshua, they're coming in numbers no one has ever seen before and Joshua, they have chariots. It's not just soldiers, they've got horses, they've got weapons that we don't have. Joshua, we're in an awful lot of trouble. And the Word comes to Joshua and in this moment, listen to what happens next. Verse six, the Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid of them because by this time tomorrow, I will hand all of them slain over to Israel. More than that, you are to hamstring their horses and burn their chariots. You don't keep the weapons of their warfare. You destroy the weapons of their warfare because the weapon you have is me, which is far greater than the weapons of man. Come on, somebody. So Joshua and his whole army came against them suddenly at the waters of Merom and attacked them. And the Lord gave them into the hand of Israel. I'm so excited about the word God has put on my heart for this morning, and in order to set the scene, in order to put us right there as we look at a passage that a message that I am calling "conquering kings," conquering kings. I was thinking about how we how we get in the moment, how we set this scene, how how do we because we have to feel this right, like this is a this is a huge moment in history. It's not just a fable. This is historically lived by the people of God. And we got to put ourselves in there. And I was chatting with with Adzi, who who does all of our, our video stuff. And I said, Adzi, I feel like we need a montage. I feel like we need a movie montage. And I realised that's very 2005. But I just feel like we need a movie montage. And I started saying we've got all the, like all these different moments in time where you've had victory and then all hope is lost and then blah, then we'll go again and, and the, the, the victory is ours. So Adzi worked his magic and he's just put together a little two minute montage for us, just to put us in the moment. But unfortunately for all of you online, if we play this on our stream, then we'll be cut off from YouTube for copyright reasons. So. You're going to get a little slide, don't go anywhere. If you want, open up a new tab, click on YouTube, epic movie, help scene, something like that. Two minutes, then come straight back. Everyone else, eyes to the screen. Six years and Matt Nichols finally gets Star Wars in church. (laughs) Uh, That's what I feel when I read this passage. Anybody? When I read these chapters, I can't help but, but see that moment where it's like... We've had victory, and then, uh uh-oh, we're in trouble. But then there is hope at the end of the day, because the kings of the world are conquered by our conquering king. The kings of the world are conquered by our conquering king. And last week, we talked about how Adonai Zedek employs four kings, and how our adversary, the devil, employs three kings, employs the demonic, the flesh, and the world, and we got stuck in 15 verses looking at when the demonic attacks, when the spirit comes and attacks the people of God, the enemy attacks, but as we keep going, you're gonna see these other kings at play, the kings of of the devil that he employs against the people. We're gonna see the people of God, we're gonna see the flesh and we're gonna see the world as it comes against Israel and what to do, how to fight, how to gain victory, over these adversaries, over the kings of this day in the power of the King of Kings. So we talked about last week, getting a word, walking in forgiveness, living in community, standing firm in endurance. But let's go back to chapter 10 as we take a look at this. Verse 16, so Joshua has said, sons stand still over Gibeon what a powerful prayer of faith and god comes through verse 16 now the king the five kings had fled and hidden in the cave at maqueda and when joshua was told that the five kings had been found hiding in the cave he said roll large rocks up to the mouth of the cave and post some men there to guard it and then he will jump ahead verse 22 joshua said after pursuing the adversaries Open the mouth of the cave and bring those five kings out to me. Jump ahead, verse 24. And then he says, When they had brought these kings to Joshua, he summoned all the men of Israel and said to to the army commanders who had come with him, Come here and put your feet on the necks of these kings. So they came forward and placed their feet on their necks. Verse 26. Then Joshua put the kings to death and exposed their bodies. On the five poles. Here is a picture at the end of chapter 10, is a picture of the King of the Flesh. It's up close, it's personal, it's a part of, uh, Joshua is, is right there, this adversary that is a part of the fallenness of humanity. It's the wrestle that we have every single day against what the Bible calls the flesh, the fallen nature of the self in which we live. And it's this really interesting picture. Often, when we talk about the flesh, we straight away would go to things like sexual sin. That's where our mind straight away goes. But we have to understand that the flesh is, is more than that. The battle against the flesh is so much more than that. You know, we see even we see pride, which rises up within the hearts of men. We see uh, a heart to even not be in community because sometimes we're like, man, I'm just sick of people. <laughs> we see all these things that that the flesh would come against us seeking to kill, steal and destroy, seeking to take our joy, seeking to stop us from living in the victory that God has given us in Christ Jesus. But we also see some key ways in which the people of God are to come against the flesh, are to battle the flesh in order to gain victory. And here's the first thing, really quickly I wanna point this out before we move on. Number one, the first thing Joshua does, because the flesh wants to hide in the cave, it wants to stay hidden, yeah, where he wants to be this secret thing that we don't expose to anyone. They go into the cave, there's large rocks put, but if they're not dealt with, then the flesh will eventually come back and bite the people of God. And so what does Joshua do? As the battle's been fought, the battle's been won, he then says, roll away the stone and bring him out. The first thing we have to do with the flesh in our wrestle with the flesh is to get it out of the cave. We actually have to expose that which is hidden and secretive. We've got to get it out of the cave. The biblical word for this would be confession. We don't talk a lot about confession, particularly in, you know, in sort of more modern style of churches. We tend to talk about all sorts of other things, but this is a traditional thing within the church which shouldn't be forsaken. We don't go and visit the pastor and knock on the door and stand there and say, today I'd like to confess. But it doesn't mean that we shouldn't be a people who confess our sins to one another. Why? Because when we confess, we get it out of the cave. We get it out into the open and we expose it to the light. And when darkness is brought into light, darkness no longer has mastery. And so if you are fighting against the flesh, if you are fighting this constant struggle against the flesh, which keeps rearing its ugly head and you're finding you don't have victory, the first thing to do is to say, am I exposing it? Am I confessing it? Am I bringing this up and out into the open with someone who I trust or a group of people who I trust and love, who I know have my back, who are not gonna go and gossip about it and say, jeepers, did you hear what so and so's up to? but actually is there, I love you, I'm with you, I'm journeying in this with you, I'm praying for you, I'm believing for victory with you. It creates accountability, everyone say accountability. We need confession and accountability, we bring it out of the cave. And here's the second thing we're to do with the flesh. The first thing, bring it out of the cave. Number two is you gotta put your foot on its neck. Do you know what putting the foot on the neck is in ancient times? It's a testimony and a declaration of victory. They stand there with their foot on the necks of these kings as a way of saying, look what the Lord has done. It's a sign of authority. And we need to do this as the church, as the people of God. We need to realise that all authority on heaven and earth has been given to Christ. And we need to take up that authority against the devil's schemes. And we need to go, no, 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 no. This doesn't have mastery over me in Christ. By the power of God, through the blood of Jesus, in the Spirit of God, He has given me authority over this thing. And so I will stand there and I will put my foot on its neck, declaring the victory God has given. And if I stumble, if I make a mistake, I'm not going to put that thing back in the cave and allow it to have more mastery. It's open, it's there. I'm walking in confession with my brothers and my sisters. I will have victory in this day. And we stand with our foot on the neck And I think we've lost this because we don't talk to each other about it. You see, you can't have victory if you never get it out of the cave. And this is one of the lies that is spoken over us is it's always don't tell anybody, that's shameful. But if we don't tell anyone, we'll never have victory. If we don't confess anything, we'll never have victory. If we leave it in the cave, eventually it will... Gain mastery, eventually it will come out and it will destroy. So we must bring it out and then we must declare the victory. And a testimony doesn't just mean getting a microphone on a platform and sharing in front of everyone a 30 minute story about your life. A testimony is a a regular proclamation to anyone who you can get around you and say, look what the Lord has done. That's what they're doing here. They're declaring a testimony. Look what the Lord has done in my day. Look what the Lord has done to these Southern kings who would come against the people of God. He has given us victory. So I'm gonna put my foot on their neck and declare that victory, not just for the people in my day, but so that thousands of years later, there can be a group of people sitting in a freezing cold gym in Verdun declaring the victory of God over the kings of the earth. Put your foot on its neck. Number three, the third thing Joshua does is he puts it to death. He puts it to death. It's one thing to confess it. Confess. Our sin, like the Bible, First John, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all our righteousness. So many passages in Scripture. Declare the victory, Psalm 66. Come and hear all you who fear God and I will tell what He has done for my soul. Oh, there's so many good Psalms about this over and over. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven, Matthew ten thirty-two. But then we got to put it to death. Romans eight thirteen. if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. There is a part when we confess, when we declare the victory, that we put this stuff to death. This is why Jesus says, if your right arm causes you to sin, cut it off. I don't wanna see people in church who have just munted their arm and they're walking around with one arm. It's talking metaphorically, it's talking about spiritually, actually saying, no, 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 this thing, if it has mastery, I'm going to expose it, I'm going to declare the victory, and then I'm going to deal with it. Meaning if it's a computer in your room, get it out of your room. If it's a phone that causes you to spend hours after hours just sitting there, guess what? You don't have to have one. Do you know that? Do you, do you realise that? You don't have to have it. So we can get rid of it. And even better, we can get rid of it with our brothers and sisters, our accountability partners, because we're walking in it together. It's like a bomb just went off in here. I it's awfully quiet in here. But it's true, isn't it? Maybe if something has mastery, we've got to put it to death. Maybe if gossip has mastery, we've got to put it to death. And you've got to have someone in your world who every time you start to turn a prayer into gossip has the permission and the authority in your life to go, stop, that's gossip. And instead of getting offended, we just receive it and go, you're right, I'm putting that to death right now in Jesus' name. Come on, somebody. We've got to get it out of the cave, we've got to declare our victory and we've got to put it to death. But it begins by getting it out of the cave, this is what we see with Joshua with the southern kings, as it speaks to the church and the battle against the flesh. Let's keep going because there's so much more in this. Because we come to then chapter eleven, and this is the moment. This is the moment where where the enemy is coming against, and we think, oh, I don't know if we can beat this. this this enemy is too big, and this is this picture of the world. This is the picture of the world. And by the world, what I mean is the the value system of society that is contrary to the will of God. When there is this systemic value system rising up in our society that is contrary to the will of God, that is what the Bible means when it talks about the King that is the world that would come against the people of God. And friends, this feels huge. This feels enormous. Sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes I look around, I'm like, can we even, like, how do we even fight? It's such a massive adversary, which is coming against the people of God. How do we know that the chapter 11 kings of the world? Listen to this, listen to this. The first king, when Jabin, king of Hazel, do you know what Jabin means? Jabin means intelligence. And do you know who he employs? The king that he brings is Jobab. Do you know what Jobab means? It means a shrill cry or a loud noise. Just think about it. The world, when the world, the value system of our society is coming against the church, what are the two things that often get raised up? It comes in this form of intelligence or it's, a, it's an argument of philosophy or an argument even in modernism, this argument of science and the church. And people go, well, how can the two possibly align? Even if you'd actually do a bit of research, you realise they do. But it's this, it's this, this king of the intellect. It's like this, it's the Lord of the intellect, which is put on a pedestal a button, and the church is made to feel small and it's made to feel dumb. Like you're believing in Santa Claus. And the second thing is it's loud. Anybody? It is so loud. It's Jabin and Jobab. Everyone say Jabin and Jobab. It's Jabin and Jobab. It's this, this God of intelligence and it's this God of, of silencing the voice of reason and truth. And we just push that. It makes me think of when uh, we took a holiday and we were up in, in Noosa, and I had the privilege of teaching my beautiful children how to body surf for the first time because we'd never gone to beaches with waves, we just go to like fishing beaches. And so there we are at Noosa with these gentle little waves, having the time of our lives. I'm there with the kids and they're having a great time with their little body boards. And to start with, it was all good. And they're sort of standing. We did this thing where the waves coming and they just stand there and the wave would hit them and they'd just resist the wave. Having a great time, jumping up into the wave. Do you know what happened as the day wore on? The current got a little stronger the swell grew a little bigger. And as the current got a little stronger and as the swell grew a little bigger, it became a whole lot harder to stand. And my beautiful Mabel at one point standing there with the waves getting bigger, saw this wave coming and thought, well, I'll just turn around and just stand here and deal with it. And that wave just went bang. And for the first time in her life, she found herself upside down, inside out, twisting around underwater and it freaked her out because the current was too strong and the wave was too big and she didn't know how to deal with it. So when she finally came up, she picked up her bodyboard, she yelled at me <laughs> in no uncertain terms saying she wasn't pleased with the situation. And she ran out of the water and went and sat by mum. Because she didn't know how to deal with the wave. She didn't know how to deal with the strength of the current and the groundswell which was coming against her. And I think sometimes as a church, we're a little bit like this with the world. Because the current gets stronger, as opinion gets louder... And it seems like the wave, it seems like the torrent that is coming against the church because they get all these people who have intellect and all these people who are loud and they cancel culture starts to shut down the voice of the church. If you have a different opinion, you're just silenced. And we're like, how do we deal with this? Anybody with me right now? And so the tendency that we have is to pick up our board, get out of the water and go and sit on the beach. But that is not the call of God. Because what God does is He comes to Joshua as Joshua looks around and the ground swells big and there's this enormous army, this enormous army bigger than anything they have ever faced before. And the Word comes to Joshua, Joshua, look at the swell. Look at the size of this thing. We have no capacity. We dealt with Jericho, but that was just a one city fight and God pulled down the walls. There was I, they were tiny. We even lost to them to start with until God dealt with us. And then we, yeah, we beat the Southern Kings, but God rained hailstones on them. How the heck are we supposed to deal with this? Do you know what the Lord says? He just says, go. You see, in our battle against the enemy, sometimes All we can do is stand. Sometimes we just have to stand our ground as we talked about last week. Sometimes we just have to hold on. But there are also times where we have to advance. And so the Word comes to Joshua and Joshua, he says, do not be afraid, go, go and attack. So Joshua takes his little army in comparison and they go and attack. And here's what we realise as this happens. Friend, this is awesome. This like, oh, this got me so good. Because Jabin, intelligence, the wisdom of the world has rallied this enormous army by the waters of Marome. But here's the thing about waters. Waters are always in a valley. Where do you not wanna be in warfare? A valley. You always wanna be on the heights. You always wanna be up high because that has an advantage. So Jabin, the intelligent one, rallies 300 armies with chariots and horses in a valley. And the thing about the waters of Barom is it's a swamp. Oh, come on, someone. You've gotta start thinking. It's a swamp. How good is a chariot in a swamp? How useful is a chariot in a swamp? It's useless. And this is the thing about our enemy. This is the thing about the world. It thinks it's intelligent. It thinks it's got wisdom. It thinks it's got us covered. But this is the truth of God. He will frustrate the wisdom of the wise because all truth is in Him. He is truth. And so the wisdom of God is to say, don't let them come any further. They're just, they're arrogant. In their arrogance, they park themselves in a swamp. And you, if you go now, so small, you'll have the high country and the ESV is beautiful because it says it, they fell on them. That they got the high country and Joshua's like, now it's go time because these guys are in a swamp. Yeah, they're huge, but we've got them surrounded. So we're gonna fall upon our adversary. That's the wisdom of God. We must be very careful to understand that the Bible, that the truth of Jesus Christ is just that, it is truth. It is logical, it makes sense. Do not, be, do not be fooled by the wisdom of this age, but stand firm on the promises and the truth of God. It is logical, rational, it makes sense. It is the wisdom of God and it will be tr- proved when all is said and done to be true. Let me, let me just speak something for a second. This is being revealed in our day right now because the arrogance of the enemy as he's starting to remove image of God. If you missed my sermon last Sunday night on mental health, you need to go and see it on YouTube. We talked about the image of God and when the image of God is removed, the damage that's doing to our society. This is what's happening, this image of God trying to destroy the people of God by getting rid of the fact that we are male and female and that we are fashioned for a purpose by the hand of God. Our society, the world is trying to remove that so that it might destroy humanity. But the position of the church, the truth of God is very logical and it's very rational. And we are actually seeing now in that arrogance that that is being refuted by people who are not even Christian. That there are people who are rising up, God is raising up a voice that's even outside the church who's saying, this is so ridiculously illogical, it's like parking an army in the waters of Marome. But here's the sad thing, is the church has been so silent on it that God's having to raise up people outside the church to be that voice of reason when it was always supposed to be the church who were the people who walked in the truth and victory of God. May we not be a people who walk in disobedience out of fear of the enemy that's coming against us. May we be a people who walk in the truth of God, in radical obedience, taking us there, not in arrogance, but just saying, hey, what we have is reasonable. What we have is true. And I'm not gonna be pushed around anymore. I'm not gonna sit here and allow the waves just to silence my voice and push me underwater and force me onto the beach. I'm gonna face that wave. And as it comes, I'm gonna go head first into it, dive right at it knowing that the truth we have is good, amen? Amen. That we are to take that stand, that we are to be bold, we are to be strong and courageous as the Word came to Joshua and stand against the tides that come against the people of God because we have the wisdom of God. Let me throw some passages at us. Look at this, 1 Corinthians 1. 18 to 20, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the scribe? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? The world has Jabin, we have Jesus. The world has Jobab, we have the Spirit of God. And it is time for the church to arise. It is time for the church to realise the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty in God through the tearing down of strongholds. It is time for the church of Jesus Christ to take its stand against the devil's schemes, to fix our eyes upon Him, the author and perfecter of our faith. It is time for us to put on the armour of God, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth, the sandals of peace, the shield of faith, the sword of the Spirit and going with prayers in the Spirit on all occasions that we might see the enemy defeated and the Kingdom of God made manifest on the world, breakthrough in people's lives. Those who have believed lies about their nature, those who have believed lies about their worth and their value, would hear the Word of God, they would hear the truth of God, that it would cut through and we would begin to see a radical outpouring of God's Spirit of grace, of mercy, of truth, setting (laughs) captives free and releasing people into new life. That they would know that they were not an accident, that they would know that they have not got no purpose, that they are nothing but atoms colliding, but they would know that you are made in the image of the living God. That you are created in Christ to do the good works that He prepared in advance for you to do. That you would know that because you are made in the image of God, fashioned by His right hand, that before a word is on your tongue, He knows it completely. Therefore, I have infinite and intricate value that far outseeds anything I can do, give to society, but it's just because this is who I am in Him. And when we know who we are, and we have the revelation of my, the, the value that I have just from being a human in what God has done for me, then all of a sudden we begin to see change in our lives. We begin to see people walking in purpose as the lies of the world slowly start to crumble. And we're seeing this. As I said last Sunday night, almost 50% of Australians are suffering from mental illness. That's because Australia's believed a lie about who it is. And when truth cuts in, we will begin to see that lie fall, and we will begin to see breakthrough in our generation. And I believe with all my heart, we will see an awakening in this country. We will begin to see revival in this day. Is anybody with me? Because how many of you know we need revival? And revival begins as we get out of the cave, as we begin to declare the victory of God, as we begin to put to death the misdeeds of the body and as we begin to walk in obedience with what God has called us to do in proclaiming truth in love, not in arrogance, but standing firm against the tide of our culture with a message of hope, truth and love. In the same way Christ did in first century AD, which changed the world. And the same spirit that empowered Christ indwells the church today, amen. And we're called to walk in that. And so here's where we close, bands. you can come up. But here's the promise, here's where we live. Here's why we can go against the wave of the world because in verse 23, chapter 11, it says this. So Joshua took the entire land just as the Lord had directed Moses and gave it as an inheritance according to their tribal divisions. Then the land had rest from war. Let me read it a slightly different way using his Hebrew name. So Yeshua took the entire land. Let me say it again, because you didn't get it. So Yeshua, Yahweh saves. You, You didn't get it. Let me read it again. So Jesus, you still didn't get it. Let me say it again. So Jesus took the entire land. There you go. You got it. So Jesus took the entire land and he gave it as an inheritance to the people of God, then the land had rest from war. Friends, the reason we have hope, the reason we stand, the reason we gather here in faith, the reason we can go into the world declaring truth in love, the reason that we can stand against Jabin and Jobab is because Yeshua, Jesus, is the King of Kings. And as you keep reading into chapter 12, the whole chapter is simply just a list of kings that were destroyed. That's all it is. These are the kings that were destroyed. There's a prophetic word in this saying that at the end of the day, friends, every knee will bow. That the kings of this earth can raise their head against the King of kings. But a day is coming, has come, when He will stand in victory, He will come back for His church in glory and every knee will bow. Every king will bow its knee, for He is the Lord of lords, He is the King of kings. And our hope is in Him and Him alone. Our hope is not in our strength. Our hope is not in our fight. Our hope is in His promise. Our hope is in His victory, in His glory, in His wonder. That's what we go into our world declaring. We go on declaring that, hey, you might not think this makes any sense, but He is Lord and He is mighty to save. And look what He's done in my life. He's brought victory here, here, here. And I'm holding on to that right now, wherever I'm at, but I know that my God is faithful and that He will come through. And so I stand in that promise because He's the King of kings and He's the Lord of lords. And so church, as we close today, I just want to declare that I don't know where you're at and I don't know what kings you're fighting right now. We're all fighting some king. But the King of kings has come for you. He is true. He is trustworthy. He's worth holding on to. You can believe in Him. You can surrender to Him. You're going to bow your knee at some point anyway. Anyway. You might as well bow it now. He has done the work as He promised and the inheritance is coming. Rest for the people of God is coming. The seventh day rest that we were created for is coming again. obedience, keep holding fast, keep trusting our glorious King of Kings for He is worthy of praise, would you stand to your feet just feel to pray over us today that we would know the truth and the truth would set us free and um, if you would like specific prayer as always we'll have a ministry team will come as we sing this song and declare this glorious truth, glorious truth of who Jesus is but I feel to pray Truth, you would know the truth and the truth would set you free. That you'd hold fast to the truth and the truth would set you free. And there's nothing I can do, nothing I can say that's going to convince you of that. It has to be a work of God. But I can share my testimony. That I have wrestled with all the religions of the world. I have spent years pondering what is truth, as Pilate did. And with absolute certainty, I stand on the fact that Jesus Christ is true. That He is the King who is worth bowing your knee to. And I would love to talk about Him more with you. And what he's done in my life and so would our team, I would love to talk to you. And if you want to have that conversation, we'd love to invite you to do that. Following Jesus is more than just sticking your hand up and saying, yes, it's about a life devoted to him. And we'd love to invite you into that life. So if you want to have that conversation, if you want to know him more, please come either now or after the service and we'll talk to you and share the love of Christ with you. Or if you need encouragement this morning with whatever you're facing, maybe like Captain America, you look up and see an army against you and think, I don't know what I can do. Hope is around the corner. Hold fast. For our soon coming King is the one who conquers kings. So, if you want prayer, if you need prayer, please come as we sing, declare who He is. In Jesus' name, Lord, we love you, we thank you, we praise you. I pray that you would take this word, that you would settle it in our hearts. Lord, that we would not be unaware of the enemy's devices. Lord, that you would equip the saints with everything we need for life and godliness, that we would walk in the victory that you have bought for us on the cross of Calvary, that we would run and not grow weary, that we would walk and not be faint because we do not run alone. We run in the promise of Yeshua. We run in the finished work of Yeshua. Yahweh saves. Yahweh saves. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people, and boldly share the gospel, You can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.